The body of Christ is an amazing privilege to be a part of. It's the one relationship that's going to last for all eternity. We are his, his people. But as we walk towards that eternal home, as he gives us these incredible privileges and pleasures, even this side of heaven, we have a very real enemy. He's very real because the word of God says so. The word of God says so, and we, we feel it. We feel the attacks that come. Last week, as we looked at 1 Peter 5, we saw that the enemy, our devil, is real. He roams around like a roaring lion, and he is seeking someone to devour. We then looked at how that happened in the life of King David in 2 Samuel 11. King David went up on his rooftop. He looked out, and he saw a beautiful woman. In that moment, when his glance caught a vision of her and she was beautiful, he should have stopped. He should have listened to the word of God. He should have rejected what was going on inside his heart and mind. But instead, he gazed. He continued to look. And then he sent for her. They have relations. She becomes pregnant. Then he has her husband brought back. He sends for him. He comes back. He won't do what David had longed for him to do to cover the whole thing up. So he sends him to the front line to be killed. It's murder. He then seeks to continue to cover all these things up. But God, who sees everything, who knows everything, who is everywhere present, sends someone to him. Verse 1 of chapter 12, an incredible picture of grace. And God sent Nathan the prophet to David. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. I'll begin in verse 1 of 2 Samuel 12. You're free to follow along and the Pew Bible or printed in the bulletin. 2 Samuel 12, 1. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him, but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing. And because he had no pity, Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. 
you shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Father in heaven, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come now and give us eyes to see this text, to see the world, to see ourselves, and to see you the way we were meant to see. Only you can give us this vision, Lord. Only you can enable us to see correctly, to hear correctly, to think and feel correctly. So no matter where we are in our journey with you, Lord, would you open our eyes to see. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. It's a pretty amazing story. It's very common and well-known of David's fall with Bathsheba. But it's really easy to miss the significance of grace that comes as the Lord moves in ministry to David through Nathan. Last hour, I shared with the seniors who were here. Most of them stayed for the service. They've left now to go to their Sunday morning community, which is really sweet. I said there there are two gifts that I still have that I received for graduation. The first one is a dictionary. I asked them if they'd ever seen one. This is a dictionary full of words. My name is inscribed on it. It was given to me by Tori and Martin Conley, a man I worked for in high school in 1985. Still sits on my shelf in my office. This is a Bible. This was given to me by my grandparents, Susie, grandma and grandpa. We named our grandparents after their dogs. 1985, April, this was their gift to me. The sweet thing about this gift, though, is I got to pick it out. I went to a Mardell's Christian bookstore in Oklahoma City, and I played and looked and felt and read all these different Bibles because it was time for me to have a grown-up Bible. And this was my first study Bible. I didn't pay attention to who the study notes were written by, This is actually a Schofield study Bible. I had no understanding of Dallas Theological Seminary, no understanding of dispensationalism versus covenantal theology. Frankly, it didn't matter to me then. I had no idea. My grandparents thought it was beautiful. They said I could have it, and I still do. In this book, at the age of 18, I began to devour it. Handwritten notes, things highlighted, questions, all sorts of things in my own handwriting. It's an absolute treasure. This is the word of God. This is a sword. This is the most powerful thing that Christians can possess in their hands, along with the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. So as this real enemy seeks to devour us, as he roams around looking for ways to devour us, there are many tactics that he plays, but it always begins with him taking this out of our lives. He does it in a number of ways. First, it could be simply denying that it's God's word. It could be doubt. It could be once we, or maybe over doubt or denying it, it could be that we dilute it. We water it down, making it more appeasable for those who might not really appreciate what it has to say. If it's not going to be in the area of denial or doubt or in diluting it, it would be in, I guess, the word that we see here so clearly is despising it, all for the purpose of dropping it. That's what the enemy wants. Whether it's denial, whether it's deluding, whether it's doubting, whether it's despising, he simply wants it 
to be dropped. That's his purpose, so that he can devour. And why wouldn't he? You see, of the spiritual armor that's recorded by Paul in Ephesians, and of the song which we just sang about the church arising, the word of God is the only offensive armor we've been given. Everything else is for the posture of defense, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness. But this is our sword. And if an enemy can take the opposing weapons out of his enemy's hands, why wouldn't he? And that's what he sought to do. So you might ask the question, well, how did it happen here with David? Well, let's look at the text. In verse 9, Nathan, as he speaks to David, says this, Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? And that's really interesting. Nathan knows what David has done. He speaks of it. I've already mentioned it. And it was terrible. The destruction was great. But when Nathan goes to name the specific sin, the one thing that David committed he speaks of him despising the word of the Lord. The word despise means to regard with contempt. It means that it is to dislike something intensely, to find it repugnant, to loathe it, to see oneself as unworthy of its interest. That's what the word despise means. David, we're told as the prophet Nathan speaks to him, says that he despised the word of the Lord to do what was evil in his sight. He then says at the end of verse 10 that he despised God himself. Why have you despised me? This is really important for us to understand. Because we are in a church that demands that I don't doubt every word that's in here from the beginning to the end. We're in a church that seeks not to distrust this or deny it or delude it. But we're a church filled with men and women and pastors who sin all the time. And that's why we confess our sins. And every time we sin, we despise the word of God. Every time. Now, some of you right now are saying, that's not true. I love the word of God. I believe the word of God. I trust the word of God. I could never say I despise it. Well, David wrote the word of God. David was carried along by the Holy Spirit to record psalms that we would learn from and sing. Yet when confronted with his sin of adultery, Coveting, stealing, lying, and murder? Nathan says, why have you despised the word of the Lord? The reason we have a hard time admitting that when we sin and every time we sin, we despise the word of the Lord is because we're seeing our sin through our eyes and not through his and when we see sin through our eyes, we tend to minimize it and not see it for the evil that it is. When David is confronted by Nathan, Nathan in verse 9 says, Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? 
That's it. Every time we sin, we are despising his word. Every time. Every time we tell a lie, slander another person. Every time we lust or operate out of greed or selfishness, we are despising the Lord's word. Something that he has told us is in contradiction to that. And the reason it's important to see that is because it sets in place the righteousness of God and how seriously he takes sin. When we step forward in submission to that evil enemy that's roaming around like a roaring lion seeking to devour us, we can never imagine fully the horror that might unfold as a result of our decisions. David could never have imagined that all that would take place could have happened just because he continued gazing at that woman. But look what took place. What David did was evil. What we do when we sin is evil in his sight. In his sight. David doesn't deny or argue with Nathan. He could have. He could have said, yes, I committed adultery. Yes, I lusted. Yes, I I murdered him. Yes, I coveted. Yes, I stole. Yes, I lied. But he doesn't because his heart breaks. And when his heart breaks before the Holy Lord, he offers this simple confession in verse 13. I have sinned against the Lord. Some people think that's not enough. I mean, you, you, you stole a woman from a man. You had that man murdered. You lied about it. You covered it up. What do you mean you can just simply say, I've sinned against the Lord? I think this is so powerful. There's no fluff. There's no arguing. It's simple. I have sinned against the Lord. If you want to see more of how David felt about his sin, open the Bible in front of you and turn to Psalm 51. Use your own Bible or the one in front of you. Psalm 51 records David's broken heart. Listen to what David says about his sin. I'm going to begin in verse 1 and read through verse 4. David cries out, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Now listen to this and connect it to 2 Samuel. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David had no problem admitting that he despised the word of the Lord. He did not argue with Nathan. He didn't say, I'm guilty of those things, but I love the word of the Lord. And I think we need to go there. We need to go to that place to see our sin in his sight. For if we don't, we can't truly appreciate the grace that God gives us in covering that heinous despising. Do you see, that's what Nathan does. Go back to First or Second Samuel 12. When Nathan is called to confront David, he begins by giving him a story. Now, we all immediately think this is a parable, but David didn't know it was a parable or not. Nathan just 
sent by God, which is so important, begins to speak. There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. David's reaction to me makes me think he thought this was a real event. And whether it was or wasn't is irrelevant. David's response is powerful to Nathan's tool of showing him his sin. Nathan is sent by God. That's grace. I mean, let me make sure you see this. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the first question in the entire Bible was given to them, and it was from Satan, the serpent. The first question was, did God really say? So remember, Satan's always coming after the word of God in your life. Did God really say? Doubt, distrust, dilute, or despise. He wants her and him to drop the word and listen to something else. She speaks. Yes, this is what he said. Satan dilutes. And pretty soon, she takes it each. She despises God. Adam does too. Then comes God's first question. God's first question in the whole Bible found in Genesis 3 is, where are you? Now, God, who knows everything, who sees everything, who is everywhere present, isn't confused about where they are. He's indicating at the beginning of the Old Testament, the beginning of his story of redemption, that he's coming for his children. Where are you? Now, Adam speaks. We were afraid because we were naked, so we hid. God asked his second question. It's the fourth question in the Bible. Who told you you were naked? Can you imagine their faces? So Adam speaks. The woman you put here with me, I blame you, I blame her. I'm not blaming myself. It's wicked, it's evil. So now we see a man, David, the anointed king of Israel, being confronted by a man who was sent to David. This is also really powerful. In chapter 11, 2 Samuel 11, the fall of David with Bathsheba, the word sent is used 12 times. 12 times somebody sent someone in that passage. David sent for Bathsheba. Bathsheba sent. Joab was sent. Uriah was sent for 12 times in chapter 11. And at the beginning of verse 1 of chapter 12, the Lord sent. He sent Nathan. We all need Nathans in our life. Nathan, abiding in the Lord, knows what to say to David. And so he brings this story. And as he tells this story, he uses one line to describe the rich man. Verse two, the rich man had very many flocks and herds. That's it. But now he talks about the poor man. And as he talks about the poor man, he, he woos you into feeling compassion for this poor man who bought a sheep. How much did it cost him? What did he have to do without? Not only is this his sheep, but it's the family's sheep. They feed it out of his hands. He loves the sheep like a daughter. And then the rich man comes. He has a guest on his way. He doesn't want to take one of his many sheep. He'll take the poor man's one and only sheep, and he'll cook it. He'll barbecue it for his guest. David hears, and he's enraged. His fury flies deep inside and he spews out of his mouth. Surely, as long as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. 
He shall pay him back fourfold. He did this thing and he had no pity. And then Nathan speaks. You are the man. David had just condemned himself. David said that man deserved to die. What about a man who steals a wife, has her husband murdered, seeks to hide the whole thing, believes he's gotten away with it? David just condemned himself. You are the man. But what Nathan does next is amazing. He doesn't go straight to the sin of adultery and murder. He goes to the rejection of God's favor. He says to him, verse 8, I gave you your master's house and your master's wives. I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. What he's saying is, I I gave you everything. No wonder he says in verse 9, why? How could you? with all that I have done for you, all the ways I've defended you, all the ways I've established you, the riches that I've given you, the power I've given you, the gifts that I've given you. How? Why? Because he despised the word of the Lord. In that moment when God's word clear in his mind, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not murder, all those times those thoughts were moving through him, he was trampling on the word of God, despising it, and therefore trampling on and despising God himself. David hears it and simply says, I've sinned against the Lord. Now this word despise is powerful, and here's why. The consequence of David's sin is real but so is his forgiveness. Nathan says to David in verse 13, after he says, I've sinned against the Lord, Nathan says, the Lord also has put away your sin. David, you shall not die. But the consequences are real and there's going to be a death. Your son, the one that Bathsheba is carrying, is going to die. And he did. What a powerful picture of another one of David's sons, a descendant to come, who won't be just a king, he will be the king, the king of kings, and his name is Jesus. Now turn to Isaiah 53. Describing this son, Jesus, the prophet gives us this description, beginning at verse 1 of Isaiah 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, Jesus, grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Now pay attention because the same word in 2 Samuel and the same word that you're going to see in Psalm 51 again is here. Verse 3, he, Jesus, was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and is one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. 
It's not just that the word of God was despised, but the word, capital W, Jesus was despised. And he was despised not just by those who were walking on the earth in the same 33-year period that he was. We're told he was despised by all of us. Despised, loathed, held in contempt, found to be repugnant. This Jesus. And it's a good thing. And here's why. Jesus was despised so that forever those who trusted in him for salvation would not be despised by our Father. David, in that same Psalm 51, where he confesses his sin, says this near the end of it. Just listen. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. This baby that was born became a man, and he walked upon this earth, living the life that you and I could never live, but dying the death we all deserve to die. He was despised by all of us. But when the Holy Spirit moves and illuminates the eyes of those who are going to believe in him, the saints, and they see what he has done, and they trust in him for salvation, they can live in the confident, victorious hope that we will not be despised for all eternity we will have the fragrance of Jesus and will not be repugnant to God the Father. We will have his covering, shielding us, the word himself, not just this word, so that when the Father sees us in his sight, he sees his son. That is why when it comes to our sin, We must see it through his eyes. And when it comes to our salvation, we must see it through his eyes. Our sin always is despising the word of God and despising God himself. But God's grace and mercy is so great that he sent not just a prophet like Nathan, but his son, the prophet, that he might be despised so that those who trusted him would not be despised for all eternity. Now, think about this. David was given a lot. A title, power, treasures, a kingdom. You in Christ have been given so much more. You have the benefit, this side of Christ walking on the earth, of his death and resurrection, to look forward to that day when he calls us home. And you can say, my inheritance is being kept. It's beyond what I can even imagine. 
So every time this roaming, real, roaring lion seeks to devour you by tempting you to deny or to dilute or to doubt or disdain and despise his word, pause and wait and rise up and say, look what I have been given. Look who I am in him. Why would I ever choose that? The sight of heaven, there are going to be moments when you do. Like me, you're going to fall. And you can rest assured of this, that when you do, the Lord will sin for you. And in his loving mercy, he will say, you are the man. You are the woman. And in Christ, you can say, and all you need to say, I have sinned against the Lord. I'm forgiven. I trust him. I'm sorry. My heart is breaking. And you can say, a broken and contrite heart, he will not despise. That is seeing your life through his vision, through his sight. If you only seek to see it through your own, you will minimize your sin and you will marginalize his sacrifice. His sacrifice is magnificent. Your sin is simply despising his word and him. What a gift that his word is given to us. May he truly be our vision. God Almighty, thank you for your holy scriptures. It's amazing, Lord, what one little word can teach us. And it's amazing when we see the connection through real people like us, Nathan, David, Bathsheba, Uriah, Joab. Thank you, Father, for what you have given us this day, even in bringing a Nathan to us now that we might see and hear that we are the man. So Lord Jesus, let us not wallow in unbelief, but let us take these things to heart and pray that you would indeed be the vision of our life that we would see clearly as you have enabled who you are and who we are in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.